You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh Brady will be covering one of the most familiar psalms, Psalm 23. We pray that today this very old psalm will minister to you in a new way. I make no promises that I'll get through this without choking up or, or tearing up because this morning I thought it would be the 23rd Psalm. It's the strongest of the ones that we chose to walk through this summer, and I found myself weeping the entire morning as I prepared to bring this to you, not because it is sad, but because it is so, so good. Uh, and so I don't even know if you were ready to meet with the Lord today, uh, but I promise you the Lord is ready to meet with you. Uh, so if you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is our text for today. And as we come to this word, there, there does need to be a bit of, bit of warning or at least a bit of encouragement maybe is a better word because of the, the really deep emotional connection that we have with this scripture. I pray, I pray for you. I've prayed for you this morning. I pray for myself as I get ready to, to preach this word that, that I would preach and that you would hear and we would respond with sober minds. Josh, what do you, what do you mean sober? I know that this passage has ministered to so many different people in so many different and profound ways. And as we read it and as we hear it preached, I think it would be easy for us to remember, just just like we talked about in that intro, a person or a place or a thing in which this psalm has ministered to our heart. And although, hear me out, and although those people and those places and those things are now forever sacred to us, We should never get twisted that what we are worshiping are not those people, places, or things, but we are worshiping the one who has shepherded us through that hard time. And so may our eyes be fixed not on the loved one that we lost, or in the situation that we walked through, or in the area of the life that we asked for wisdom and God graciously gave it to us. May our eyes be ever fixed on the one who gave it all to us. And that's where we want to be today. And so as we jump in, the 23rd Psalm, just a a bit of history of it. This is a Psalm of David. King David, king of Israel at this time that he's writing, he writes almost half of the Psalms in the Psalter. We need to remember that the Psalms are written in order so that God's people would have a guide for worship. No matter where they were in the world and no matter what situation their life currently would be. They would, no matter what those things would be, find a place to connect with God and one another if they were just to open these psalms. Think of it as like a hymn book, something that that would travel with them and and a worship leader would have access to this. And and, and along the way and along the journey of life, this worship leader would break out the Psalter, the psalms, and he would open it up and he would begin to sing and the choirs would join in of God's people and it would connect them to one another and connect one another to God. It is why we do corporate worship the way that we do it. It would, it would be something for us to say, well, what's your favorite worship song? And what's your favorite worship song? Or maybe even yet, if you guys been to one of those silent discos, those things freak me out. Where you put on the headphones and it's music playing and everybody's listening to the same things. You take it off and nobody's listening to anything and it's just kind of cr- I think if we're not careful, we, we may feel like that's how we want our worship to be. How about you listen to what you want to listen to, and I listen to what I want to listen to, and you go listen to what you want to listen to, and all in the end will be okay. That's not how God designed worship to be. God called us 
to, for, these, for, these, for these hymns, for these songs that we are, we are singing, Psalm 23, to be sung together, to connect our hearts to one another, but also to connect our hearts to the Father. Corporate worship does just that. That's why the Psalms were created. Just to make sure we get a clear picture of how these Psalms were used, that in their singing, it wouldn't just be like many times that we approach God's word, or particularly the Psalms in our, in our Bible reading plan. It wouldn't be like, okay, we're going to start in verse 1, finish in verse 6, and then go to Psalm 24 tomorrow. These would be songs that would be sung over and over and over and over again. I know, I know you, you come from, some of you come from a different era of, of church music and, or maybe a different liking and style of church music where you like the, the, the four verses and, and the words are all uniquely and measured differently. Hear me out. I love those things. And, and sometimes you'll get at New Palestine. Nobody here has said this, but if I have any New, Palestine, uh, New Palestinians watching with me today, I used to hear all the time in my eight and a half years there, Pastor, we just don't like those Sub 11 songs. I don't know why that is my Perver County voice, but it is. We just don't like those 7 Eleven songs. And I was like, what's well, 7 Eleven? What's a 7 Eleven? You know, those seven words sung 11 times. I'm just so tired of that. I hear you. Look, man, hear me out. When we get, I don't want to hear an amen. <laughs> well, look, when we get to this text, I want us to understand that whenever they would sing these songs, although words are measured out in verse, they would sing them over and over and over and over again. For the purpose of allowing the truth of God to break past whatever it is you are dealing with today. Whatever preconceived notion that you have of God and how he is going to act in a situation, they would sing the truth of God over and over and over again so it would get through the things that we have already developed in our mind and, and, and actually assault us, I think is even a good word, with the absolute truth of God's word. And so when, when we look to this, I want us to understand that it's not just a, a sweet passage to understand during a, s- a ceremony that's sad, whether that be a funeral or a homegoing or someone who is sick. But this would be in a situation that we need the truth of God's word washed over us time and time and time again. So as we jump into Psalm 23 today, We have to understand that what this is at its outset is a song of confidence in the Lord's care for his people. And to prove his point, David's going to use two illustrations. One is going to be a shepherd and one's going to be a host. And so with that understanding, let's jump into the text today. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. All right, so uh, as we look to this, you're going to see something beautiful in the format of this psalm as it unfolds. The beginning, if you to go back and to read this in in Hebrew, you can even see it in your English. It's just not quite as as potent here, but but it's going to start with the word Yahweh, and it's going to end with the word Yahweh. Now, if you've been here long enough, you're going to see two different, uh, not spellings, but at least... um, uh, functions of the word Lord in the Old Testament. Anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's what we see here in Psalm 23. That is the proper name of God. That is Yahweh. That is the covenant-keeping name. That means that whatever is going to be associated with this name is going to be a promise that cannot and will not be broken. 
And so that, that's already good news because what it starts out with is Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. But now we get into the substance of the text this morning. The Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd is what David says. But for him, it's a definitive thing. It says, is my shepherd. Before anything else is spoken, this truth is settled in David's heart. If the Lord is my shepherd, hear me out, church. What does that make us? Sheep. I thought about making you bad, but I thought that was too much. The Lord is my shepherd. For David, for king of Israel, anointed and appointed, he said, my lordship belongs to him, to Yahweh, to, to God. Now, now remember, in the Old Testament, particularly here, although I think it is pointing to Christ to come, at this moment we are using the word Yahweh. We are using the covenant name of God. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore, implied, it makes me a sheep. I think this is the biggest reason we have a hard time settling in our own mind that Yahweh is our shepherd. Because if that's true, then that means that we are his sheep. Many times if we had it to do our way, we would have no problem with Yahweh is our co-shepherd. Yahweh shepherds right alongside me. As I go about my life and I make sure that it happens the way that I desire it to happen, Yahweh comes down and makes it even better than I could ever hope, ask for, or imagine. Those things are not true. And let me tell you why that's going to be good news for you. Because we, we make terrible covenant keepers. We, we make terrible shepherds because we don't know the way. We get lost before we start. And so for King David, the king of Israel, to stand before his people and to have them sing this truth over and over again, the Lord is my shepherd and in him there is no need. In the ESV it says, I shall not want. I think there, there's a little bit of a better translation here. I'll never want something that I don't have. Not, not in the sense of like, I want shoes and I don't have shoes, or, or I want an extra hour of sleep and I didn't get that today. Instead, it's probably better, I will never lack anything that the Lord wants me to have. In my God, I have everything I need. So here is what the shepherd does. If he is my shepherd and I am his sheep, here is where the good news comes into play. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. As we see this psalm unfold, I want you to, to look at it this way, okay? See it as a journey. A journey in the sense if, if he's the shepherd and we are the sheep, he has now taken ownership over our life. We'll get to this in a moment. He is not a hired hand shepherd in the sense of the sheep don't belong to him and at the first sign of trouble he runs away. These sheep are now his. They are called by his name. They have his name on them. In a strange way, the sheep bear the image of the shepherd. And so the shepherd comes and meets his sheep and the first thing that he does along this very long journey 
As the shepherd's authority and ownership is established, and now he gives care. The first part of care is he makes us lie down in green pastures. And he leads us beside still waters. So in preparation for the journey ahead, the Lord feeds and waters his flock. This is a big deal. Because when he finds the sheep, the sheep are scared. The sheep are scattered. The sheep are exhausted. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They they, they have no clue where to turn next. Food and drink are the last thing on their mind. They don't know what to do. And now there's the shepherd that comes and says, come eat and drink. In preparation for the journey ahead, Yahweh feeds and waters his flock. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, the beauty of this passage. Green pastures, still waters. You read this and imagine in your mind and you think, I want that. I need that today, God. You do need that. And this is the offer of the shepherd of the flock. That when we come, and we come into his fold, there's an invitation to come and to drink. An invitation to come and eat, to come and lay down. Verse 3, look, it continues. He restores my soul. Let us be clear. It is not the food or the drink that restore the soul. Who restores the soul? Yahweh does. The shepherd is the one who restores the soul. Look at the, the, the next part of verse 3. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord and his gentle leading is the one who restores our soul. And evidently, David writes with an understanding that there is a a soul, your soul, my soul, prior to the shepherd's coming, is broken and it's tired. But when he comes, he restores it. He takes the broken pieces and puts it back together. He takes the tired soul and gives it rest. But then he also leads it on paths of righteousness. Another way to hear that is he leads you on the right path. As a sheep, these are the paths that are best for you and me. These are the paths that will keep us out of danger. And keep me walking in the right direction to make sure that we get to the right destination. Why in the world would the Lord do this? Why in the world would Yahweh do this for us? For his name's sake. Because the sheep that he is leading are not just borrowed sheep. They are his sheep. They belong to him. They carry his name. They bear his image. If one gets hurt, or if one goes lost... His name is at stake. This isn't just positive thinking. This is the covenant promise of God. This is so awesome, right? So so with God as my shepherd, everything is going to be easy. Green pastures and still waters, right? No. The Lord is perfect. His dwelling place is perfect. But the world that we live in, the world that he guides us through, is not. It is fallen, it is broken, and it is filled with dark shadows. If it were up to us to get from where we are to where God wants us to be, 
we would be lost before we began. We couldn't even begin the journey. But praise God, he came to shepherd us, to meet us where we are, broken, tired, hungry, and scared. He invites us to come and eat. He invites us to come and drink. He invites us to come and have our souls restored and to have our, 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 our person set on the right path. But because this world is terribly broken, there are really bad places and really bad moments. But as God's sheep, we don't have to fear these things. Probably the most poignant part of this whole passage is verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All right, so the valley of the shadow of death. For so many people, we, we think this, like if we are reading this just in our own, or maybe we've heard this at like a funeral service, we would think valley of the shadow of death is death in itself. I do think that is the enemy's final scare tactic for us. For after that, there is nothing left to fear. For the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our souls are in his care. But this word has a much deeper connotation, not just to the moment that is waiting for us at the end of this life on this side, but for every day that we are going to experience between now and then. Now remember, this is a journey that the shepherd meets us in this broken world. He collects us into his flock. He feeds us. He waters us. He rests us. And then he sets us in the right direction. And then he tells us to go. And as we are going, we will see green pastures for sure. We will see still waters for sure. But there will come a time, no doubt, many times, that on the journey of this life, from where God found us to where God's taking us, there are going to be places filled with dark shadows. And so when you see the valley of the, valley of the shadow of death, think of it this way. This is, this is probably a more word-for-word -word translation. The deepest, darkest shadow of life. As a sheep, after the, the Lord has collected you and fed you and watered you and rested you and walks along the path with you, you get to this moment and it seems foreign. Surely this can't be right. Surely those shadows, that, that's not right. That's not the right path, God. There's no chance. So, so if you are a sheep without a shepherd, there's no chance you're going to continue on. I'm going back. I'm going back to the green pastures. I'm going back to the still waters. I'm going back to the old way because I've never seen shadows that dark. No way I'm heading that way. It's too dark. Shadows are too terrifying. That's not the right way. But if you have a shepherd who is fearless, who is confident and knows his sheep and knows his destination, then the journey is a little bit different. But with the shepherd, as we walk through the valley of the darkest, deepest shadow, we have a shepherd who tells us this is the right path. Those things you see, they're only shadows. They can't hurt you. I'm here with you. I'm right here. I'll never leave you. Keep going. One step at a time. I promise we're going to make it. 
We have this quote, I will fear no evil. Why? Why, why are we going to not fear evil? For many people will read this and will think, okay, well, as a Christian, that means I shouldn't fear evil because somehow being a Christian has made me superhuman or has given me ability to approach things that other people are scared of and I shouldn't be. That's not what this teaches. That's not what Scripture teaches. The reason we don't fear the deepest, darkest shadow has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the one leading us. So we give our hope and trust to this shepherd as they lead us down this very dark and shadowy place. We will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It may sound like this to you. I know it does to me. The shepherd says, Josh, this is the way. Josh, no, that's not the way. And my response, God, it's so dark. I can't see. I'm so scared. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I want to go back, God. I want to go back. I don't want to be here. Josh, do you feel that touch? Yeah. It's me guiding you. Trust me, I'm here. Josh, do you hear that sound? The staff as the shepherd walks. Yeah, that's me leading you. Josh, trust me. I've got you. I don't know where you are, but I know you and I have both walked through the valley of the shadow. And if you've only walked there once, my friend, you will soon be there again. You may be there right now, and you may feel like my expression to God many times. God, I am too scared. This is too dark. The shadows are too real. Those monsters are coming after me. And we have to hear the shepherds say, none of it's real. They're but a shadow. They can't touch you. Josh, I promise we've got to go through this path if, because I promise there's something better on the other side. No, no, God, I want to go back where we were. There were green pastures. There were quiet waters. I want to go back there. No, Josh, trust me. I got something better, but you've got to keep going. Listen to the staff hit the ground. Feel the rod hit the back of your legs. Keep going. I'm right here. It's the depiction that David gives to his people to help them understand that in this life, as Jesus would say, they're going to be faced with many trials. And it's going to be easy for them to go back, to stop the journey, to say, I want nothing left to do with this, but God has a better way because there is a, a better destination from where we are and from where we've been. We can't even fathom how good it is. But to prove the point, he shifts gears, but it's not totally unrelated. So if the first four verses are about God, Yahweh being the shepherd, the last two verses are about Yahweh being the host or the owner of the house. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. All right, so, so again, not completely unrelated from the first part of the song. In this broken world, we're going to have trouble. We're going to have enemies. There's going to be people who want to hate you, who want to harm you, who want to steal from you, who want to kill you. 
but with Yahweh as your host. Not, not, only, not only is he the shepherd who guides you, but he's the one who invites you in to a different dwelling than you were before. And when you're invited in, the whole rules change. For, for this, is, this is what he says. But with Yahweh as our host, we don't have to live in fear or be paralyzed by worry. Here's the picture. While the enemy surrounds us with all of their threats and bad intentions... God is not on the inside with us saying, oh no, what do we do? Do you think they'll ever go away? Let's devise a plan to make them get out of here. What it says is, in the presence of my enemy, God sets a table before me. And this table isn't something that is flippant. This is a table of celebration. How do we know? Because the host, once the table is set and we are sat at the table, he takes out the oil and he anoints our head. I know that sounds way strange to you. I do use oil on my head for completely unrelated reasons. Shiny, isn't it? But the anointing of Scripture in the Old Testament particularly, when we see an anointing happen, it is a sign that you are welcomed, that you are blessed, and now you are under the complete care of the one who who owns the house. So, in this life you will have trouble. But God invites you into his house. This is going to become real clear to you in just a moment with the New Testament. So in a world of trouble, we are invited into God's house to be sat down at the table of celebration. And he anoints our head with oil, telling us we are welcomed here. We are blessed here and we are protected here. But not only that, then there's a cup that sits at the table and he pours into this cup a cup of blessing. And it's not just a little blessing. It's not just a lot of blessing. It is an overflowing blessing. Now let's be clear on what this is. I want you to make sure that if you ever grew up with prosperity gospel, that's a garbage gospel. Because in this blessing of the cup, that doesn't mean life's not going to be hard but it means God's presence is going to be real. And it's never going to leave you and never going to forsake you and you never have to doubt it one second. Even if you do, God is still there in your doubt. So when we come to the table, he comes and you anoint your head. He anoints your head. He comes to your cup and he pours into the cup and it's not just a little bit, it's not just a lot, but it overflows with joy, peace, blessing. Then we get to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, so certainly, certainly, surely, certainly, God's goodness and mercy will follow me every day that I have left on this side of eternity and into the next. And we shall dwell, we shall live in God's house forever. So the picture that we have in the 23rd Psalm is Yahweh is our shepherd who came to us when we were broken and we were scared and we were exhausted. Our shepherd found us and fed us, gave us water to drink and restored our soul. He set us on the right path and he leads us every step of the way through the deepest shadowy places and right into the table at his house. He anoints our head with oil. He fills our cup more than we could 
actually do anything with. And we have the promise, covenant promise, that we will dwell in the house of who? Yahweh. So what we see in this psalm is a very beautiful picture of Yahweh to begin it and Yahweh to end it, and everything inside of it is a promise. So not only is this a promise of God from the Word of God, this is a covenant promise of God sealed by His holy name. That for all people who call on His name shall receive this promise of blessing. You said, Josh, that, that's Psalm 23. That's Hebrew, that's Old Testament. How does that affect us today? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word what did the Word do? The Word did something among us. What did it do? It dwelled among us. The, the Word actually is tabernacled. What, what it means is, so if, if Christ is the Word, that, that's what it's speaking to in John, if Christ is the Word and Christ comes and He doesn't just come to meet us then leave again, it says He come in tabernacles, which means He comes and builds His house where we are to stay. So God sends the shepherd, Christ. And it's not just a flippant shepherd. It's not just a rented shepherd. But it's one who owns all the flock of God. And in this, he comes and he makes his house where our house is. And he takes on the pain that we take. And he knows every feeling and every temptation that we have. And he says, come and follow me. You go to John chapter 10, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am so thankful that verse doesn't end there. But these are, these are the, the words of Christ. He says, but I've come to give you life like you cannot imagine. So even though the enemy is there to trying to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you, I have come to give you life like you will never be able to imagine. And then John 10, 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So as we come this morning to our end, and our worship team will come back up, I want to spend just a few moments inviting you in to trusting in this shepherd. To trusting in this journey. Because again, what we see in Psalm 23 and what we see in John as we understand this, as the word becomes flesh and it dwells among us, what we see is God comes to our brokenness. He collects the flock. He feeds the flock. He waters the flock. He rests the flock. He sets the flock on the right path and says, we're going there. And it's there that is promise and it's there that is joy and it's there that nothing will ever be able to hurt you again. But along the way, flock, there's going to be scary things. The deepest shadows you've ever experienced. But I want you to know they can't hurt you. Paul would say it this way in Romans. If God is for us, who could ever stand against us? He would go on. Is there anything that could separate us from his love? And then he gives this ascension. He talks about, is, is it life or death or angels or demons? 
sickness or, or darkness or par, uh, par, uh, principalities of this air. No, no, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. And then we are promised in the end an invitation into the house. But the enemy cannot come in. There's no more shadows. There's no more fear. There's no more sadness and there's no more sickness and there's no more death. All the tears are wiped away and instead the glass is overflowing. Oil is dripping from your head for you are not only welcomed in this place, this place is now your home. How long will you get to stay there? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the invitation of the shepherd. But for some strange reason, there's many of us who still try to go it alone. Who would say, I don't need a shepherd, I got it. No, you don't. You need to realize you're a sheep. If bang makes it helpful, do it. But you need to realize you are in desperate need. God does love you. He has a great plan for you. But you will never realize that plan until you come under the protection of the shepherd and allow him to lead you. So this morning, here's the invitation. This is the beauty of what we see in the entire New Testament as we see the shepherd's life unfolding in real time and what it looks like with real people. There's some sheep who fall in line and they just get after it. It's good. There's some silly sheep who butt their heads against one another. They're still sheep, praise God. There's some sheep that stray, who run. What's the shepherd do? He leaves the flock to go get them. And he brings them home. If you are his sheep, you are forever his sheep. And the promise of his home forever is yours. So why would you want anything else? Why would we desire another way when we know that other way leads to destruction every time? So this morning, we have an opportunity for response. The response is simply this. Put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Let him be the shepherd of your soul. If you're exhausted, hungry, and thirsty, come this morning. If you are tired and weary and heavy laden, come to him and find rest. If you're wandering, just stop. Turn around. He's standing right there. It's time to come home. I would love to pray with you this morning. I would love to open this place as an altar this morning. We are, we are sheep in need of a, a shepherd. Praise God, he has given us an all-sufficient shepherd that will not only lead us from where he finds us, through the dark valley, but to our forever home with him in glory. So church, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. joy that it brings to my heart only because I feel your rod and I hear your staff. 
as I remember the green pastures and the still waters. Because you continually restore my soul. I hear the chants of my enemies, I do. They're terrifying. But I'm reminded that I'm at your house, sitting at your table. There's oil dripping down my face. And my cup overflows. I know that my home is with you forever. And nothing can change that. So surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life until I get there. Help us to respond rightly to that this morning. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. And we now stand.